Colossians again. Um, part of it's up on the screen, but we're going to be looking really at the whole letter um, and thinking of a, a theme going through it. We're not going to cover the whole thing, um, but it'd be helpful if you had it open in front of you. Um, verse 9 says this about the Lord Jesus. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Um, but a slightly different version behind says you are complete in him. Uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news to a world that is empty and broken. I'm becoming more and more convinced of that the more I see the world. Um, the gospel is about fullness. Christianity is about being full. Um, I, I love my food. Um, someone here who knows me quite well, you can testify to that. I can eat a lot. And it takes quite a lot to fill me up. Um, but have you ever had that feeling where you've eaten just enough? And someone offers you some more and you just don't need it. In fact, you're satisfied, you're content. I don't need any more. Well, the Bible says that, and this letter in particular is saying, Christianity is about that feeling fullness, contentment, satisfaction, but imagine that on a far deeper level than you've ever felt before. And imagine having that so that it lasted forever. You never ran out. You never got hungry again. You never ate too much and felt sick. That feeling of contentment, I've got enough. And Paul wants to uh, write to these Christians here in a place called Colossae uh, to let them know that Jesus Christ is enough. Now, we use the word enough in all sorts of ways. Um, it might not sound like a good enough word. What it means here is this. You don't need anything else. The message Paul has got to get across to these people is this. If you've got Jesus Christ, you don't need anything else. And he writes it, I think, for two reasons. Um, one is because people have come into the church and have started teaching things that are not true. They sound like they could make sense, but when you really dig down... They're just not true. And the essence of what they're teaching is this. You need something more. Yeah, you've got Jesus Christ. That's great. But you need something else as well. They say you need some special knowledge. You've got to understand more than you do. And uh, you need to go through all these ceremonies and rituals. And Jesus Christ is great, but he's just not enough. If you really want to know God, you've got to have all these other things as well. That's one reason Paul writes this. Another reason is this. Sin is enticing. And Paul knows that firsthand. We'll see a bit more later about what, um, what sin means. But Paul knows that these people are at risk of walking away. Because the things that are around them in the world look more attractive sometimes than Jesus Christ does. And they're at genuine risk of, of walking towards them. In fact, Paul knows this so well, and he's going to know it even more. One of the people who writes this letter with him, who sat there in prison with him as he's writing, a man called Demas, who greets the Christians here. Later, Paul will write about him and say, Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me. And he's left the faith. And so there's a real risk here that people fall in love with things more than Jesus Christ and go after them instead. And so Paul has got to tell them this. Jesus Christ is enough. You don't need anything else. And he starts by telling them this. Jesus Christ is enough to show us God. Uh, 
God is different to us, isn't he? He's uh, holy, and we're not. He's, he's separate to us. And God is awesome. You might think you're pretty great, but God is awesome. And he's infinite. And he's eternal. He's always existed, and he always will. And tiny creatures like us are nothing in comparison to him. Um, I was in Chepstow last week uh, on a camp, and one night with some of the officers, we went to sit on the edge of a cliff um, that looked over this massive river, and we could hear the river rushing, and we could look up at the stars. And what filled my mind was this. This is huge, and I'm just so small and tiny. Sometimes I think I'm the center of the universe, like everything revolves around me. But looking at that was a really helpful reality check. I am tiny. And there's a God who made it all. He's bigger than us. But more than that, uh, not only are we tiny in comparison with him, we're sinners. Uh, so we can't approach him. In fact, when we see him in all his glory, when we see what he's really like, we are crushed. God doesn't say you can't approach me because you're dirty, you might get some dirt on me. He says don't approach me because you'll be burnt up completely. Um, a few weeks ago, we went to um, a temple uh, to see what was going on. We were on holiday, and uh, there were some idols there, and one of them was propped up by a stick, and there was a sign on it that said, do not touch. Now, the reason it says do not touch is because if you touch it, you break it. That's not what God's holiness is like. God says don't come near me because if you touch me, you break. You're filthy in comparison with me, and, and you'll be burnt up completely. But the problem is this, you see. Um, even though that is true, we have this deep-down need to know the one who made us. We've got a deep-down need to know him. That's uh, what we were made for. God didn't just make us because he felt like it, or for a laugh, or because he could. God made us so that we could know him and enjoy him and serve him. Uh, and those feelings are still in us somewhere. And we know we need to know him. And so we're always disappointed, always dissatisfied, because nothing's quite as good as he is. We're made to know him, but we can't come near to him. And so we try all sorts of things, don't we, to try and take us closer to him. All sorts of experiences, all sorts of philosophies, all sorts of stuff to try and help us understand, to open our minds, to empty our minds, to make us feel good, to help us switch off, whatever it might be. Anything at all to try and give you that full-up feeling that lasts, that makes you feel good. And absolutely nothing works. You know that's true, don't you? You know from having lived in this world long enough that you try things to try and make you happy, and none of them work, and none of them last. In fact, they actually push you away. <laughs> they give you the opposite of what they promise. You know, all the methods that um, tell you that if you go through this system, you'll, you'll be content forever. Methods change. And all the um, things you have that apparently will make you feel good, they get old and worn out. And they've got to be replaced. And maybe it's not things, but it's, it's an ideology, it's a way of life. And you commit your whole life to it, whatever it might be. And it leaves you feeling empty. And it leaves you feeling trapped because you've given so much to it and you can't get out now. And you live for this thing. It might be a job, it might be a family, whatever it is. You're trapped by it. If only I have that, I'll be satisfied. 
struggle with this. Um, all these things come from us. All these ideas, these ways of satisfying us, they come from us. And as we've already admitted, um, we are quite small. And there's plenty of stuff in this universe that we just don't get. And we're also broken. And so when ideas like that come from us, it's no surprise really that they don't really work. And when they come from the people around us, same deal really. There's no way that um, small, broken creatures could show us the God who can satisfy us. They can't show us clearly who God is until they always leave us disappointed. And so we can't have this fullness feeling. We can't know this God. But then Paul writes to these Colossians to say this. Jesus is the image of God. He's the clearest picture you could possibly have of God. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus Christ. He writes to them to say, do you know what? You don't need all these other things that you're trying to get into God. You just need Jesus Christ. If you have him, you have enough. And so he says, look at Jesus Christ. He's the image of God. That means he shows us God so clearly, more clearly than anything else. Why? Because he is God. Fully God and fully man. A lot of you will know that already. What does it mean? It means he's as relatable to us as any human being ever could be. But he can also show us God more clearly than anything else. Because he is God. And because he's enough to show us what God is like. And it's only in God that our souls can find rest. Only in God can we be fully satisfied. That means Jesus Christ is enough to meet all our needs. So he can show us who God is. So Jesus is enough um, to show us God. That means he's enough to satisfy all of our needs. So we're made to know God, to enjoy him, to serve him. So everything else in comparison is disappointing. It's not the real deal. Uh, it's like um, if you've got a, a, a Lego set, some of you've got kids perhaps, you've got a Lego set and you need to complete the set and you want to buy it but it's just so expensive so you buy some cheap version. And it arrives and you've got to plug it in but it's just a little bit too big or a little bit too small. And it looks the real thing, oh, it just doesn't work. Everything we try to fulfill ourselves and satisfy us it might look the real deal but it's not going to work. Only Jesus Christ works. Jesus Christ is enough to show us God and so he's enough to satisfy all of our needs. And so that means this, you don't need anything else. You will have some other things. God will allow you some other things. But you don't need anything else. And there's a few things in particular that Paul wants to uh, remind them that they don't need. Um, they don't need empty ideas. You know, if you look around in the world today, everyone will tell you that the two main things you need are comfort and status. You've got to have um, financial security, uh, a good job lined up, nice home, spouse and kids, everything's happy, throwing a golden retriever, good measure. Comfort and status. People have got to think a lot of you. They've got to think you're reasonably honourable. And an all-round good guy. Uh, you've got the, a good job. You're respectable. 
And these are the things that um, we have to chase. Paul said you don't need empty ideas. Because you see, the problem with that is the goal is all those things I just mentioned. The goal of that idea of chasing comfort and status, you can never reach it. You can try and be comfortable. Some of you probably have. It doesn't quite work, does it? Because it doesn't stop bad things happening. It doesn't stop the things you care about most being taken away. It's not as secure as we think it is. And even when it is good and things are great, you're still not quite happy with it, are you? You've got to get more. Bigger house. Or at least an extension. More kids. Your kids have got to be happier than the other kids. Better than the other kids. You've got to get a promotion. It doesn't quite satisfy you. And so it promises you so much, it just doesn't really work out. It promises you if you have the, the best job, and you've got the best education behind you, you've got all the newest possessions, plenty of money to be secure, a family that looks great from the outside, and this image that everyone thinks, oh, you're just great, and a good reputation. It promises you if you have that, you'll be happy. The thing is, you know you won't, and you know you're not. And actually, all those things lead to is this, comparison. You spend all your life comparing yourself with people around you, and it ruins you. Comparison can only lead to two things, really. Uh, one is despair, because you see what you're like compared to other people, and you just feel rubbish. The other one is mockery where you see that you're better off than the other person and you, you just insult them for it or look down on them for it. And it ruins the good thing you have. In fact, often you get a little mixture of both because there's always someone who's worse off than you. And there's always someone who you wish you could be like. Um, so it doesn't really work. And maybe some of you find that and you're in that position at the moment and maybe you're exhausted because you spent all your life keeping up appearances pretending you're something you're not. And you've got different groups in your life and to different groups you've got to be different things. You don't want to mix it all up. It'd be a nightmare if that person from work met that person from um, whatever else. <laughs> it, it's just chaos. And you're exhausted from pretending you're something you're not. And so this idea of chasing comfort and status, it just drives you further and further away from the real comfort that, that you're looking for and that you need. Even though what was promised to you was those things, real peace, just don't get it. And that's because of this. Paul says, you don't need that because only Jesus can actually meet those needs. Only in Jesus can you find real peace, real status, real contentment. Jesus can meet those needs. And he does so by doing this. He brings God to us and he brings us to God. God and man comes together in Jesus Christ. Remember what we said, only God can satisfy you. That's what you were made for. A, a, a petrol car is meant to have petrol put in. Put diesel in it, it ruins it. We're not meant to fill ourselves up with other things around us. We're meant to fill ourselves with God. And so Jesus Christ can genuinely satisfy all our needs. most clearly when we look at Jesus Christ 
And if you want to see it more clearly than ever, look at the cross. Because Jesus Christ is the perfect image of God. God displays what he's like most clearly in Jesus Christ. But if you want to know really what Jesus Christ is like, look at the cross. God is a God of justice and mercy, of holiness and grace, of power and might, of love, of goodness, and all these things come together at the cross. God is shown at the cross to be a God of justice. He hates sin and he punishes it. But at the cross you see mercy for sinners, grace given to people like us. If you want to know what God is like, look at the cross. And so at the cross we see more than ever that these needs that we have, these things that we want, they are met at the cross. At the cross, Paul writes, it gives us peace with God. If you want comfort and peace, at the cross, Jesus Christ gives peace with God. Earlier on in this letter, he would write, um, Jesus Christ has made peace by the blood of his cross. And he clears all our debts. We read that tonight. We'll look a bit more of that in a minute. Uh, we're in debt to God. You know, someone who's in debt has no status at all, do they? The important people you want to be like, you wouldn't expect them to have any debts because they're rich and they can pay it off. Jesus Christ clears all our debts and gives us new status at the cross. He does that by this. Um, because Jesus Christ can satisfy all of our needs, he can satisfy our deepest needs. That need we have um, that causes and intensifies all our other needs. If Jesus Christ can meet our every need, he can meet with that need as well. That need we have of our sin. Sin, if you like, is an offensive crime against God. There's all sorts of ways you could describe it, but um, offensive crime against God. You've offended the God who made you. And I think you know you have. God made um, the universe because he loved his son. And he made everything in the universe as a gift for his son. And when he made it, he gave it over to people like us and said, look after it. And here's the rules for how you look after it. Here's the guidelines. Now, when you break the rules for anything, things break down, don't they? Uh, if you buy a TV and you get the instructions for how to use it, you probably haven't read them. But in those instructions, there's rules for how you use the TV. If you use it the wrong way, if you use it like a kettle, it's going to break. God makes the universe, it's a very simple way of saying it, uh, makes the universe and gives us these guidelines. Says you run with these and everything will be good. You step outside of these, it'll break. Don't do it. And we've looked him in the face and said, I will not do what you want me to do. Surprise, surprise, everything's broken. We don't like that. We don't like the brokenness in this world. God hates it even more. He made it so that it could be good. He made it as a gift for his son who he loves. And we've utterly <laughs> mugged off his son by saying, we don't care about you. And this good gift we've been given to look after for you, we'll just trash it. Sin is offensive to God. And when crimes are committed, often what happens is um, punishment has to be meted out. Fines have to be paid. Justice has to be done. Things have to be made right. 
And so we find ourselves um, at war with God and in debt to him. We've fought against him. We've alienated ourselves from him. And we have a debt to pay to him. We've got hearts that are twisted against him. We don't love him. In fact, we hate him and we disregard him. Blocked off from him. And so we can't know the only one who's enough for us. See the, the tragedy of that? There's only one person who can satisfy your every need and you've pushed him away. You've blocked him out. What a difference it would make if Jesus Christ could deal with that need. Jesus Christ could deal with your sin. Jesus Christ was enough to, to take it all away. And he is. And that's what Paul has got to get through to these people. He is enough. As he dies on the cross, we've thought about that this morning, the punishment of our sins, the things that we've done wrong, what we deserve is poured out on him. He's perfect. He's done no wrong. And he's punished as if he's the foulest sinner on earth. And so peace has been made. Justice has been satisfied. Man and God are reconciled. We can now be satisfied again. And that debt we have towards God is paid off. And it's paid in full. There's a, a fullness to the payment that Jesus Christ pays for our sins. Not just part of it. All of it. And so his payment for our sins is enough. You don't need any more. You don't need to do anything else to add to it. You don't have to experience anything special. The record of our death, it says there, is completely cancelled. All gone. Uh, even that thing that keeps you up at night, that you regret having done in the past, is recorded in your mind, but in God's record, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, it's dealt with. No more. And so you don't need to add anything onto it. You don't have to um, clean yourself up. No amount of cleaning yourself up will make you right with God. No amount of sorting yourself out. There's no point coming to God and saying, oh, I won't do it again. Do you think he's going to forgive you on the grounds of you saying you won't do it again when you've done it again a million times? No amount of cleaning yourself up, no amount of beating yourself up is going to work. There's no point staying up late at night and tormenting yourself over things you've done. It doesn't work. It doesn't make God more happy with you. No amount of pretending you're something you're not. No amount of coming to him and saying, yeah, I know I messed up, but don't worry. I'll sort it out. Nothing works. None of that can ever help you at all. And you don't need it to. Jesus Christ on the cross has paid for your sin in full. All of it is dealt with. Nothing more can be added. We'll sing later on. My sin not in part, the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Can I ask you please to stop coming to Jesus Christ and laying down your sins and then picking them up again? 
that burden of guilt that you've got. Stop bringing it to God, laying it down and beating yourself up constantly about it. If you've come to the cross and have your sins dealt with, trust in Jesus Christ that he will never deal with them properly. It's taken away forever. You can't add anything to it by beating yourself up or by pretending to you're not. Jesus Christ is enough to deal with my sin. And so, that means you don't need your sin anymore. We're not going to go too much into this. Read chapter 3 when you go home. It's going to give you a list of things that we need to take off and a list of things we need to put on. And if you just read that on its own, you might think, well, Paul's telling me I've got to behave in a certain way in order to be right with God. But you know what I think he's saying is this. Jesus Christ is enough, and you don't need all that harmful stuff anymore. Jesus Christ has set you free from that. You don't need that to satisfy you anymore. Give it up. It's not worth giving Jesus Christ up for that stupid little thing. Give it up. Follow me. So Jesus Christ really is enough. Enough to uh, meet all of our needs. Even the need of our sin. Then I think there's two implications that Paul would want the Colossians and I think he'd want you to know tonight. If that really is true, there's two things you need to know. One is this. He's worth losing everything. Jesus Christ is worth losing everything for. Paul is sat here in prison. We had a reminder this morning in the children's talk about um, some of the awful things Paul went through to share the gospel. Paul is sat in prison and he's a living, suffering example of why this is true. He's given up everything. Uh, he's not just given up um, his uh, job or his money given up some basic human rights he's given up his freedom he's treated awfully he's probably eventually going to give up his life he's not just given up the simple things that he can he gives up everything because Jesus Christ is worth giving it up for and I wonder if he was stood here today would he ask us if we are willing to give up anything for Jesus anything at all now bear in mind God might not ask you to give up some things. But you've got every right to. And you've got to be willing to. Even good things. Good things like your basic human rights. Would you give them up? You know, we've got brothers and sisters around the world who give things up constantly. Really severe things to serve Jesus Christ. And we sit here in comfort. Would we be willing to do that? Would we be willing to give up our our job, to um, lose our friends, to lose our family, to lose our reputation with the people around us, even to lose our health, our life, because Jesus Christ is so worth it. Would you be willing to? To give up anything, not because you have to, but because, <laughs> because he's so much more worth it than any of those things are. Do you believe that? Jesus Christ is enough, and so you don't need anything else. Would you give up all those things, and would you do it joyfully? God might not ask you to do this, but he might. Would you? Is 
Jesus worth more to you than any of those things that people are asking about? Even the good things, the things that will hear us, is Jesus worth more to you than they are? You know, whatever you lose, it's worth losing it if you get Jesus Christ in its place. That's a hard thing to think when some of those things are really good things. I'm not standing here pretending that's easy. I'm standing here as a, as a Westerner who's got a relatively comfortable life. But it's worth giving up anything to get Jesus in his place. And it's certainly worth giving up your sin. Those things you're clinging on to that you don't need and that are ruining your walk with him, they're hurting you and the people around you. You know they're wrong. You shouldn't give them up. You should uh, still be doing them. Certainly you should be giving those up. Jesus Christ is worth losing anything for. And then finally, one more implication. Jesus Christ is enough and so he's worth proclaiming. Paul goes into some absolutely magnificent descriptions of him in Colossians. And then he says this, him we proclaim. Not anything else, him we proclaim. In fact, we must proclaim him. We must. We must be compelled by love for him to proclaim him. You know, the people you love the most are probably the people you talk about the most. How much you talk about Jesus Christ? How much you proclaim him? You know, there's people out there who need him. And they don't know about him because we haven't told them. And we need to know him more. But often we kind of uh, hide away in ourselves because no one around us, our church family, don't tell us about Jesus. Him we proclaim. And there's empty and broken people throughout this world who need to be filled. And the only one can fill them is Jesus. They need to know. You know, last week I did a camp. I've done camps before, but this one broke my heart more than any. Because on the last night, a little girl was crying because she didn't want to go home. All week she'd had kids crying because they didn't want to go home. On the last night, a little girl was sat there crying, didn't want to go home. Because home isn't very nice. so many bad things and she's broken and desperately needs someone who cares for her. Camp offers to see her once a year. 51 weeks of the year she gets nothing. She needs someone constantly who is enough for her, who will care for her. She needs to hear about Jesus Christ. And she's not the only one. Applies to people who preach from a pulpit, and it applies to people who 
settle into as well. If you have anyone come and preach, uh, claim to be a preacher of the gospel and doesn't point to what Jesus Christ, you have every right. In fact, you should be doing this as members of this church, of going up to them afterwards and saying, why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you point us towards him? Why did you give us a lot of nonsense about keeping all these rules? I can't do it. Why did you give us some nice little anecdotes that roughly link together? I, they do nothing for me. Why didn't you tell me about Jesus Christ? Why didn't you tell those people who are here who don't know him about Jesus Christ? Why didn't you? And then for those of us who don't stand up um, every Sunday and preach who, and spend a lot of time sat down listening, we also have a duty in ourselves to proclaim Jesus Christ. Can you really say you love him when you were talking about him? You've got to get out there tell people about him because they need him. Proclaim Jesus Christ. He's enough. He's worth it. Will you proclaim him? Proclaim his glory. Show people how magnificent he is. Don't skip that. Show them how great he is. Proclaim his mercy. Show them that even though he's a great God who sinners shouldn't be able to approach, in mercy he sent his son. Proclaim his holiness. Proclaim his grace. Proclaim his comfort. Proclaim his love. Proclaim him from scripture. Paul asked that people would pray for him, that he'd be able to speak clearly about Jesus, to show them what Jesus really is like. Don't give them just some random thoughts about Jesus. Show them what Jesus really is like. Get out from here and proclaim to all the world that Jesus and Jesus alone can satisfy their needs. Jesus is more than enough for anything you could possibly need. Worth giving up anything for. And he's worth telling the world about. We're going to sing a song together um, about that. Um, it's a song that most of you will probably know. It is well with my soul. And what that means is that um, that feeling of wellness, of fullness, I can know that deep down. Um, and let me ask you, know that yourself. Do you know what it's like to know Jesus Christ and be satisfied with him? If you don't, come to him. He'll receive you tonight. Let's come to him now and, and pray for